There is something particularly tragic, I think, about a, a beached whale. It'll be an advantage for you if you can see the screen. Feel free to shuffle up, but um, it's not uh, disastrous if you can't. Um, Helen and I were on a, a Bible holiday for teenagers at the beginning of the month in Taunton, and the local news was full of a whale that had got beached somewhere on the south coast. And so teams of volunteers had gone to help it back out to sea. Uh, to see a creature so vast, uh, so magnificent, and yet so helpless. And I understand that without intervention, being beached will invariably be fatal, either through dehydration as the tide slips away, or through internal injury as a, a body usually buoyed by surrounding water uh, now crushes itself uh, under its own weight. You see, uh, a whale is not meant to live on a beach. My guess is that the whale worked that out pretty quickly. Uh, no, if you're a whale, then the ocean is, is where you belong. The, the ocean is where you will be happiest. Uh, the ocean is where you will be able to reach your full potential. The ocean is what life is all about for you. The, the whale on the beach is alive, just, but it's living a half-life. And it doesn't have that long left to live it. Uh, we can still see something of its power and beauty, but it is an admiration that's mixed with sadness at its plight. Now this evening we're looking at the Gospel according to John. Uh, it's a slight break in the series, I know. Andrew did Andrew, Philip did Philip, Paul did Paul, David's going to do David next week. Uh, but you will start search your Bible in vain for an Ed. The nearest I came up with was Jedidiah, the other name for Solomon. But anyway, John it is. And here's the thing. It's a gospel all about life. It's a gospel about true life, full life, eternal life, the life we're made for, the life that satisfies us. Life. That's what John is telling us about. He says so, doesn't he? Have a look with me up on the screen at that second reading that we had. It's only one verse long, so no need to turn it up. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name, it's saying that for us, Jesus is our ocean. Uh, the, the whale needs the real ocean to have life. We need Jesus. He is where true life is found. That's why in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's why he can pray in chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's why in chapter 10 he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, without Jesus, we are like that beached whale living a half-life, searching for purpose and meaning and happiness and fulfilment and satisfaction, but in places where we will never find them. Uh, recently there was an email poll asking, I think it was just teenagers, uh, what they thought the key to life was, the key to happiness. And this is what the top five came in as. Uh, in, in number five was friends. Number four, good health, the keys to happiness. Number three was money, lots of it. 
Number two was good looks. And top of the list for a happy life was being a celebrity. The keys to life. Because what is life without an iPod? What is life without a girlfriend or boyfriend? What is life without fame and recognition? And that poll was for teenagers, but it could have been for any age, couldn't it? The items on the list change, but the principle stays the same. We all want satisfaction, and we think we know where we'll find it. But we fill our lists with created things, not with God. And yet Jesus says it in chapter 6 of John, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Life without God, life pursuing those other things, things that don't last, is life beached on the sand. If only we would realise it. If only we would wake up to our surroundings and see the life that Jesus offers And so if we want life, we have to come to Jesus. That's what John's saying back there in in verse 31 of chapter 20. First we need to see Jesus' identity, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so John wants to give us a clear picture of who Jesus is, as displayed in what he did and said. But then next we need to respond. We need to believe. Trusting Jesus, that he is this key to life. And then finally comes the result, that we will have life in Jesus' name. New life, true life, full life. That is the gospel according to John. And you see these three things threaded all the way through his book. Uh, But we're going to spend our remaining time looking at that opening chapter, that opening 18 verses. Now, do turn to it with me. Although, really, we're just barely going to scratch the surface of it. But as we do, we're looking for those three things. Jesus' identity, our response, and the life that results. Now, first then, Jesus' identity. If you've got it there, have a look with me at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Throughout John's Gospel, there are going to be many titles given to Jesus. Many descriptions of who he is and what he does. So he is the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Temple, the Son of Man, the Bread of Life, the Light of the World, the Gate, the the Shepherd. That's just the first half. And yet here at the start of the Gospel, it's as though John is trying to to have one title that, that sums up the others and encapsulates them. And so he calls Jesus the Word. But what does that title convey? What do words do? One thing that words do is to communicate. They're the way that one person can transfer his or her thoughts to another person 
So I can be thinking about something, but at the moment you don't know what it is. But then as soon as I say the words yellow, fruit, curved, monkey, you're all thinking of a banana. So here when we see that Jesus is the word, it means that in Jesus God is speaking to us. Jesus is God's fullest self-revelation. It is him sharing his mind with us. And so if we want to know what God says to us, what he wants to say to us, well then we'll need to look to him. But it's more than that, isn't it, with words? Yes, they do communicate, but more than that, it's more than a simple transfer of information. Words are powerful, aren't they? Last Christmas I bought my dad a book called Speeches That Change the World. Sometimes people's words can have an effect for generations. They have the power to change history. Certainly words have the power to change us, don't they? A few words of love from someone close to us can set our hearts thumping. Words can make us blush. They can make the blood drain from our faces. They can make us cry tears of laughter or tears of pain. They can change our minds. They can lodge in our brains so that they will never be forgotten. That's our words. Imagine what what God's word can do. Imagine what he might have to say to us and how far-reaching the effects of it would be if he did. Jesus is God communicating to us, yes, but he is also God at work to change us, to change the world. Indeed, here the influence that the word has on us couldn't be greater. In verse 3 there, our very existence comes from him. He he is the source of life, verse 4. He is God himself, one of the Trinity, there from the very beginning. And yet now revealed to us, spoken out so that we can understand, stepped down into our world so that we can see. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Who is Jesus? What is his identity? He is God on earth. He is God speaking to us. He is God working to change us. And we need to know that. We need to know that because we're like that whale, beached on the sand, living a half-life, And so John says, you need Jesus. He is the author of life. He is the source of life. He came and lived our life. And so you can trust that he can give you life. And yet, will that be our response? Will we trust him? The shock of this chapter is that the world rejects the one who made it. And people trapped in a half-life turn down the source of eternal life. It's the whale turning to the rescue team and telling them to leave him where he is. It's the whale taking a good look at the ocean where he belongs, but convincing himself that he wants to build a sandcastle instead, even though it kills him. So too, when faced with God, our natural reaction is to flee from him, to reject him, to convince ourselves that we can find life without him, to go back to our lists. 
even though it kills us. See verse 10 there? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's back up there in verse 5 as well. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. See, unfortunately, we're much worse off than the beached whale. Uh, The whale gets beached by accident. It wants to be back in the ocean. Uh, But we stray from God on purpose. And even when he comes to get us, when he stoops down and becomes a man, we turn away and ignore him. Even though we are his, we don't receive him. Because Jesus is the light but we are in the darkness. Light and dark in John always have moral overtones. See, the problem here is that Jesus exposes us for who we are. He is perfect and holy and good, and he just shows up the fact that we are not. He brings us into the light, and we don't like it. In chapter 3, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because... Their deeds were evil. Uh, Just like the the, the creepy crawlies under a rock in your garden which scurry away as soon as you lift it up, so too we run from Jesus. We run from the light and we cling to life. We cling to it even though it's a beached life. Even though it's a half-life. And that is both appalling and desperate It's appalling because this is the God of the universe we're talking about. The creator and sustainer of everything. The one who has all glory. Who in verse 14 is full of grace and truth. And yet the world deliberately turns its back on him. It's appalling a thing to do. But but it's desperate too because we are dying. We are dying and he is offering life. And we will not escape his wrath if we refuse it. And some don't refuse it. Wonderfully, some don't refuse it. But, verse 12, they receive him. They believe in his name. It means that they trust that Jesus is what everything that he said and did points to. What all the miracles that he did, all the teaching that he gave, shout to us as we hear them. That he was the Son of God. Come to help us. Come to bring us life. Come to rescue us. Come as light into darkness. Able even to overcome the evil in our hearts. And yet believing in Jesus' name is more than a, a simple recognition that he is God. That he is this Messiah, God's promised king who can save. For there are people who do know that in their hearts and yet still refuse to turn to him. No, true belief also involves coming to Jesus for help and rescue. It means looking to him and to him alone to give us life. To deal with our rejection of God and to bring us true life. And that is the response that John is pleading with us to make.
So we've thought about Jesus' identity. We've thought about our response. But then finally, there is the result when we believe in Jesus. And it is that we get life in his name. Verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus gives the right to become children of God. We're children because we're talking about a fresh start. New life as part of God's family. We're children because it's talking about dependency. God being in charge. Being in the driving seat of our lives as a loving father. It's saying that here we can enjoy the closest of relationships with the God who made the universe. Earlier on I mentioned Jesus' words in chapter 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well then here is that dream of eternal life made possible, made actual in the life of the Christian because we can know God as our Father. It goes on in verse 16, from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. Literally, we've received grace on top of grace. (laughs) Never mind iPods or good health or fame or what's ever on your list. Here is a list to top all others. What is the key to happiness? What are the things we need for satisfaction and fulfilment in life? It's so simple. It's grace, 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 grace upon grace. Uh, One blessing after another. Grace where God treats us better than we ever deserve. Grace where God makes us his children and he cares for us and loves us and protects us and is with us. Grace that gets better and better and stronger and stronger. Grace that lasts for all eternity. And it can be ours. It comes from Jesus and the fullness of his grace. It comes from Jesus whose glory we have seen. But how? How is it that we benefit from this grace, this glory? It is because of the cross. It's because of Jesus' death for us. His death that we'll remember later in the service as we share bread and wine together. It is at the cross that we most see the glory of God. The glory of a God willing to die for his people. To die instead of his people. To make them right with him again. It is at the cross that we see most the grace of God. That where we deserve the height of his anger, he shows us the depths of his love. And so John is saying that if we want life, if we want to enjoy life, true life, eternal life, full life, then it is to the cross that you and I must come. And it is there that we must look at Jesus and place our trust in him. A few years ago there was a disaster in a village in a remote part of South America. A nearby volcano erupted And it sent a deadly wave of mudslide mixed with magma down the valley. Uh, The whole village was wiped out and everyone in it was killed except for a small group who managed to make their way to the only area of high ground in the region. And that area was the village cemetery. 
And there in the cemetery they stayed until rescue teams arrived. Uh, With the rescue teams uh, was a journalist. And he wrote this. How ironic that the place of death became the only place of life. And that is the gospel according to John. That the place of death became the place of life. Because Jesus' death is not the end of the gospel. It is followed by the resurrection. The new and eternal life that Jesus enters into and which he now beckons us to follow him. So that Jesus' death can bring us life. Life with him. The place of death is the place of our life. For Jesus is our ocean. Let me end by asking if you know that life. I know that for some, perhaps many here this evening, life so far will have been about other things, but not about Jesus. For meaning and purpose and satisfaction and happiness, you've been looking to other things with, I guess, varied success. Perhaps some of them are still so attractive to you that you're deliberately not turning to Jesus because you don't want to let go. But if so, John says to us, You're living a half-life, a life that will not satisfy, a life that will kill you, for it cuts you off from God. Won't you turn instead to Jesus? Won't you trust him to give you new life? His death and resurrection have opened the way. But then, for most, I know, yes, you have turned to Jesus. You do trust him for this life. Well, if so, then rejoice again at what he's done for you. As we queue up later to receive bread and wine, let's wonder that God was willing to send his son to die so that we might live. And let's resolve afresh to look for life in no other place than in Jesus. Not to go back and to try to settle for a half-life, the beached life, but instead enjoying our life as God's children, our eternal life as his children, marked by grace upon grace. Thank you for listening. In a moment, David Todd is going to come and lead us in prayer, but I'm going to suggest that we take a minute or two silence together. It may be that you want to think over this gospel. It may be that you want to turn your thoughts into prayer. So a moment's quiet and then David will come up.